Hey. Sorry, that was taking forever to load for some reason. It was stuck on the loading screen. Huh. Technology, man. Yeah. <laughs> I missed you, by I the way. I miss you, too. The weeks are getting longer. <laughs> Time is just <laughs> moving slower. <laughs> it really is. Um, okay. I'm kind of excited about this episode. I think it's the most grammatically put together one I've I've, I've done so far. So maybe I won't be struggling as much. I love that. My God. Last week was a bit of a horror show for me editing it. I was like, wow, I'm not speaking English. <laughs> anyway, let's get started. Um, I'm Sonia. I'm Maddie. And welcome to Grim. Okay, so this week we're going to be talking about the brown lady. So um, she is the rarest type of the ghost that I like looked at so far, I guess. And there actually aren't that many stories about this kind of ghost. There are like one or two that I found. Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's like a specific type. Like, you know, with like the red ladies or the white ladies, um, you're like, that's the ghost of someone who died in like a sort of... Um, like vengeful death kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think they're just called these like these couple of ghosts are just called brown ladies because they just wear brown. Okay. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah, so the most commonly known story is about the brown lady of Raynham Hall. And uh so Raynham Hall is in Norfolk, um, which is in Great Britain. And I I think I wanna say that she's one of the most famous ghosts in Great Britain. Like there are quite a few articles about her um she was first seen in a photograph when photographers from the country life magazine were photographing the staircase in Raynham hall and when they looked at their pictures they saw the image of this ghost wearing a brown dress um called brocade i think that's how you say it but you know preface this with a little i'm sorry for butchering the english language (laughs) (laughs) But I did have to look this up because I was like, oh, what is that? Um, apparently, it is a like rich fabric woven with a raised pattern. Usually, the raised pattern is in gold or silver thread. Um, okay. Also, fun fact, the name relates to the same, like the root of the word is the same as broccoli, <laughs> <laughs> which comes from the Italian broccato, meaning embossed cloth. So, you know. <laughs> How is that Broccoli. I guess it's because the little, like, the florets have the, the raised edges. Like, you know, if you just get, like, a thing of broccoli and you, like, touch the top of it, it's raised. I'm guessing, but broccoli. <laughs> you learn something new every day. Um, so according to the legend behind this ghost story is um, she is called Lady Dorothy Walpole. And she lived from 1686 to 1726. Those aren't real years, but okay. (laughs) Um, So she was born in 1686 as a member of the illustrious Walpole family. Um, Her father actually was a member of parliament as well. And um, she was Robert Walpole's sister. And if you don't know who he is, he was 
basically regarded as the first prime minister of Great Britain. Um, right now, in the present day, I think her family is also best known because, like, Horace Walpole was her nephew, I think, and is also the author of um, a gothic novel called The Castle of Otranto. Sorry for my butchering of any language that I'm speaking at the moment. Um, But apparently it's a pretty famous book. So basically, the takeaway from this is that Lady Dorothy Walpole was was really just brought up with wealth and luxury. Okay. Um, Which, you know, makes sense because she her ghost haunts this like hall you know very true. like you can't very true. you can't be yeah <laughs> i mean i guess you could be haunting a, a famous mansion if you just like were like one of like, the servants or whatever there but she ended up being like the lady of the house or you could just have like i think that'd be funny if you just like lived in the town and then you became a ghost and you're like you know what that house that one's better than mine <laughs> honestly you know what i feel like i would do that like i would just like if i died here i'd just go haunt edinburgh castle you know yeah, why not? Like, that'd be really fun. People would be like, who is she? <laughs> She's just there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dorothy was apparent was, um, not apparently, she was Charles Townsend's second wife. And a uh, fun fact about him is that he was known for his violent temper. So, you know. Not good. Fun. Um, Charles was an English Whig statesman, and he served for, like, I think over a decade as the Secretary of State for the Northern Department. Um, also, he was known as Turnip Townsend because he had an irrational interest in turnips, and he played a major role in the British Agricultural Revolution. Interesting. <laughs> so, um, this episode is just full of vegetable facts. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the story goes is that like, the official story, I guess, is that Dorothy fell ill with smallpox, but Charles still just, he loved her so much that he sent for the best doctors all over Europe, and even with all of, like, their medical expertise and, like, basically everything that she could want for in that day and age, you know, being in the late 1600s, early 1700s, um, she did end up dying, they reported that her death was in 1725 and she was buried in the family crypt, which was like at the nearby church. But even despite this, even despite the fact that like the story was that she died, even though like she had the doctors or whatever, um, there were a lot of rumors that she wasn't at rest. Like people started talking about the fact that it's possible that she died a more quote unquote interesting death. Um, like instead of instead of dying from smallpox, people were like, "Oh, that was just a rumor that um, Charles Townsend made up. He actually killed her." Oh, so according good. to right, just a little spicy. <laughs> um, so according to those rumors, the story follows more along these lines: was that Dorothy first fell in love with Charles Townsend? Like that was it. She was in love with him. But her father was apparently also Charles's guardian, so he forbade the marriage. He was like, technically, I am in charge of both of y'all, and y'all can't get married. Okay. Um, I guess the more political reason for that was that he was also a member of parliament, so he didn't want to be seen as, like, influencing another member of parliament, you know? Because okay. that could cause some, some controversy. So, apparently, Charles ended up marrying Lazy- Lady Elizabeth Pelham, um 
for a while. She ended up dying in 1711, so he was free to marry Dorothy. Because, you know, in that day and age, a woman was just an object. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the years that Charles was married to another woman, Dorothy had an affair with Lord Wharton, who was an English nobleman and politician. He was a member of parliament for like 17 years, and he was the head of the Whig opposition. Apparently, he just had to leave the country suddenly because of like debts or whatever. He was just fleeing that, so he left really suddenly. But she did end up, like she did actually have this affair. Okay. I guess throughout the entire thing, Dorothy was still in love with Charles, so they ended up getting married after Charles's first wife died, and had been married for many years. And they started a family and everything. They lived together, whatever. But then Charles heard of the affair that she had while he was married to someone else, and apparently he got really, really mad at her. Which, <laughs> that's really stupid to me because he was yeah. also with another woman. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't see the logic here. <laughs> did did he just want her to like pine for him for all of those years? What if what if his first wife didn't die and they lived to be really old and then they died together? Like, what does he want from her? Yeah, I don't know. And, men. <laughs> anyway, he ended up getting so mad at her that he locked her in her room at the family home, which is Raynham Hall, and she stayed there as a prisoner separated from her children until she died in 1726 so a year after they reported that she died however like at her funeral her funeral was in 1725 you know they reported that she died in 1725 but instead of like a body they just put bricks in the coffin to lay it like to then put in the crypt that's like, right? Why would they so do that, that was that was the rumor that was because they wanted to have a funeral for her. They wanted to be like, oh, she died of smallpox, but they don't want to be like her husband was abusing her and threw her in a locked room for an entire year. You know that. Kind of oh wait, did people did people know that it was bricks or is that just a rumor? Uh, I think it was just the rumor because the rumor oh, okay. goes that she didn't die from smallpox. The rumor goes that this okay. was how she died instead. I was gonna say, like, if she actually died from smallpox, that's really weird. <laughs> what are you yeah. gonna do with the body? <laughs> um, so the story was ended up, like, they the family put up an official whatever about it, and the current Lord Charles Townsend dismissed the story, because he was like, oh, I have access to the crypt, and I have extensive family archives, and apparently he's convinced that his namesake did everything he could to save the love of his life but also despite him saying this i've never found any physical proof like there aren't any pictures of the body or whatever which would be weird but like we don't know if if they're actually just bricks in the coffin i mean by now they probably would have changed it out right true i guess you're right they would have just switched the body into it and then would you really be able to tell like one year of difference Probably it's not, especially old. since it's like 2020 right now, and yeah. this happened in 1725. You so, probably wouldn't be able to tell. I don't think he can really say he has like proof, you know? Yeah. But according to Charles Townsend, the current Lord Charles Townsend, he has family archives that says that she died in 1725 instead of, er, instead of well, 1726. I mean, wouldn't that be <laughs> weird if they like kept <laughs> that in the secret family in the family archives? <laughs> By the way, she didn't die. She's a prisoner. (laughs) What? (laughs) So that's that's the rumor. That's the story. You are free to try and figure out which one is which. I am. I don't know. I feel like 
I feel like some some sketchy stuff happened in the 1700s. So oh yeah, I feel like it wouldn't be too far off from the truth that he actually did end up locking her in a room, yeah. and you know, like faking her death. Yeah, sounds like something he would do. I don't know. Um, so her first recorded sighting was by Lucia C. Stone. I've heard this name pronounced Lucia and Lucia. I don't know which one is correct. Um, But it's L-U-C-I-A. So, I'm sorry. Missed him. (laughs) So, it was at this big gathering of people in Christmas of 1835. And she says that Lord Charles Townsend invited various guests to the hall, including Colonel Loftus, um, who who all joined in in, like, the Christmas festivities or whatever. So Colonel Loftus and this other guest called Hawkins said that they saw a brown lady one night as they approached their bedrooms after the festivities. And they know it was Dorothy because apparently they noted the particularly, like, dated brown dress that she wore. And then the following evening, they both claimed to have seen her again. He later reported that on the second occasion, he was particularly drawn to her empty eye sockets and and dark glowing face. I would not be drawn to that. I would not either. Be repelled from that. I would be repelled from that as well. (laughs) I would simply leave. Yeah. Um, Which is what some of the staff did. Apparently after his sighting, (laughs) some of the staff permanently just left. Like they were like, not for me. (laughs) I'm out. It was nice. Goodbye. Yeah, basically. Um, The next reported sighting of the Brown Lady was made in 1836 by Captain Frederick Marriott, who was a friend of Charles Dickens and also an author of a series of really popular sea novels that I don't really know about, but he wrote them. Um, Apparently, he requested to spend the night in the haunted room at Raynham Hall to prove the theory that the haunting was caused by local smugglers who are anxious to keep people away from the area. Okay. Which, you know, that does kind of make sense. Um, so his daughter, Florence Marriott, wrote, she was also a British author, I think, and actress. She wrote about her father's experience at when he stayed at Raynham Hall. And it's kind of long, but I'm going to read it to you. Okay. So um, this story says, He took possession of the room in which the portrait of the apparition hung and in which she had often been seen, and slept each night with a loaded revolver under his pillow. For two days, however, he saw nothing, and the third was to be the limit of his stay. On the third night, however, two young men, nephews of the baronet, knocked at his door as he was undressing to go to bed, and asked him to step over to their room, which was at the end of the corridor, and give them his opinion on a new gun just arrived from London. My father was in his shirt and trousers, but as the hour was late and everybody had retired to rest except themselves, he prepared himself, He prepared to accompany them as he was. As they were leaving the room, he caught up his revolver, in case you meet the brown lady, he said, laughing. When the inspection of the gun was over, the young men in the same spirit declared that they would accompany my father back again, in case you meet the brown lady, they repeated, laughing also. The three gentlemen, therefore, returned in company. The corridor was long and dark, for the lights had been extinguished, but as they reached the middle of it, they saw a glimmer of a lamp coming towards them from the other end. One of the ladies going to visit the nurseries, whispered the young Townsends to my father. Now the bedroom doors in that corridor faced each other, and each room had a double door with a space between, 
as in the case of many old-fashioned houses. My father, as I have said, was in a shirt and trousers only, and his native modesty made him feel uncomfortable, so he slipped within one of the outer doors, his friends following his example, in order to conceal himself until the lady should have passed by. I have heard him describe how he watched her approaching nearer and nearer through the chink of the door until she was close enough for him to distinguish the colors and style of her costume. He recognized the figure as the face of the portrait of the brown lady. He had his finger on the trigger of the revolver and was about to demand it to stop and give reason for its presence there, when the figure halted of its own accord before the door behind which he stood, holding the lighted lamp she carried to her features, grinned in a malicious and diabolical manner at him. This act so infuriated my father, who was anything but lamb-like in disposition, that he sprang into the corridor with a bound and discharged the revolver right in her face. The figure instantly disappeared. The figure, which for several minutes three men had been looking at together, and the bullet passed through the outer door of the room on the opposite side of the corridor, and lodged on the panel of the inner one. My father never attempted again to interfere with the brown lady of Raynham Hall. End quote. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> there really is a lot to unpack there. Like, his reflex was just to shoot it? <laughs> I guess. I guess I love- he just was ready. <laughs> I love that she was like, yeah, you were laughing about me? Hmm? What about now? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, you-, you thought. You thought I was a smuggler. No, I'm not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that is that is what he reported happened. Um, so, you know, I don't know about y'all, but I feel like that the detail in the story feels too good to be just like, oh, I saw her, you know? And I feel like it's also, like, more believable coming from someone who, like, didn't believe before, you know? True, yeah. Because, like, he would have been looking for any reason for it not to be her. Yeah. But, I don't know. Seems a little spooky to me. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Lady Townsend reported that the brown lady was next seen in 1926 when her son and his friend claimed to have seen a ghost on the staircase, and they identified her as, like, being the same figure as the portrait of Lady Dorothy Walpole, which was hung in the haunted room. The brown lady is even said to have scared the future George IV when he stayed at Raynham Hall in the early 19th century. Apparently, the version of the story that I read says that he apparently rushed from the hall declaring, quote, I will, no- I will not pass another hour in this accursed house, end quote. Um, but, like, there was another that just said that he asked for another room in the house. I don't really know what happened there, but he did see her and was, like, real freaked. <laughs> um, and there were a couple of other unsettling experiences, I guess, in the 1920s when members of this, like, theater group stayed overnight and they reported that they saw a ghost and didn't want to stay there. Alright. <laughs> yeah. So apparently today's Lord Raynham dismisses all of these stories and is super protective of the of like the hall's history and about Dorothy and stuff like that. So when people like request to stay there or whatever, like ghost hunters, he just refuses them, you know? Um so he was like, you know, it'll just be a mystery. Y'all can believe what you want. That's not fun. Right? Let them let them go and investigate. Let Zach Bagans in. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so if you remember from at the beginning when I was talking about this, the first time she was seen was, like, really actually seen was in a photograph. 
um, when the photographers from Country Life magazine were photographing the staircase. Mm -hmm. So on September 19th, 1936, Captain Hubert C. Provend, um, I'm sorry for the names, um, who is a London-based photographer working for the Country Country Life magazine, and his assistant, Andre Shira, were taking photographs of Random Hall for an article that they were writing. So they claimed that they had already taken a photograph of the hall's main staircase, and they were setting up to take a second picture when Shira saw, quote-unquote, a vapory form gradually assuming the appearance of a woman moving down the stairs towards them. So he told Hubert to take the lens cap off, and then they activated the camera's flash, and then they took the picture, like, after she was seen. And then they developed the negative later, and that was when they actually saw her on the camera. So he, so he was like, that's definitely not hallucination, you know? Yeah. Um, so Shira wrote, uh, quote, Captain Proven took one photograph while I flashed the light. He was focusing for another exposure. I was just standing by his side um, behind the camera with the flashlight pistol in my hand, looking directly up from the staircase. All at once, I detected an ethereal veiled form coming slowly down the stairs. Rather excitedly, I called out sharply, quick, quick, there's something. I pressed on the trigger of the flashlight pistol. After the flash and on closing the shutter, Captain Proven removed removed the focus and cloth from his head, turned to me and said, what's all the excitement about? End quote. So I guess only one of them saw it, but it was developed on film that, like, there was something there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the story of this experience was published in the magazine on December 26th, along with the photograph that they took. Um, the photograph and, like, the story of how they took it was also in a, the January 4th, edition of Life magazine. And then shortly after that, uh, paranormal investigator Harry Price interviewed both of them and said, like, um, he said, quote, I will say at once I was impressed. I was told a perfectly simple story. Mr. Andre Shira saw the apparition descending the stairs at the precise moment when Captain Proven's hand was under the black cloth. A shout, the cap was off, and the flashbulb fired with the results which we now see. I could not shake their story, and I had no right to disbelieve them. Only collusion between two men would account for the ghost if it was a fake. The negative is entirely innocent of any faking. End quote. So that's like, there was something there, you know? Yeah. That's a little bit interesting. Yeah, solid proof. Yeah. So some people, you know, obviously you're going to have skeptics. Like, it doesn't matter what you say. There are going to be people who are like, oh, that's not true. Um, But some people claim that he faked the image by putting, like, grease or something on the lens in the shape of a figure. Or, like, moved down the stairs himself during the exposure or whatever. Or, like, it was, like, an accidental double exposure. Like, light somehow got into the camera or whatever. Hmm. Um, So Nick, Joe Nickel wrote a detailed explanation of the photograph that shows evidence of double exposure. Um, Yeah. They wrote, uh, quote, there's a pale line above each stair tread indicating that one picture has been superimposed over another. A patch of reflected light at the top of the right-handed banister appears twice, end quote. Um, But there was a magician who was called John Booth um, who wrote that the photograph could have been duplicated by natural methods. I don't know what that means. Um, so he apparently, like, he tried to recreate it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, like, had someone cover himself in a bedsheet and, like, descend a staircase or whatever. 
and apparently said that the faked image looked really similar to the like Rainham Hall image. And then some people are like, oh, it looks like the statue of the Virgin Mary or something like that. Um, I don't know what the truth there is. So some people say that it doesn't look fake. Some people said that it does look fake. Either way, I feel like with all of the sightings of her, it can't... Like, there has to be something there, you know? Yeah. Like, why would they just try to photograph a ghost? You know, like I feel like that. Like they weren't trying to photograph a ghost; they were just taking yeah. pictures. That's true. I feel like there's so much work that goes into like wearing the same kind of clothes or whatever, and then like making a double exposure. Which in like it's hard enough with modern day film cameras. Like it was probably kind of hard with cameras in that day and age. You know, mm-hmm. and like how would they get a statue into the hall to take a picture of it? I don't know. I don't know, man. (laughs) Like with all the ghost stories we do, take them with a grain of salt, and you can choose to believe what you want to believe. Yeah. I feel like I'm one of those, like, tarot card TikTokers who's like, take what resonates. (laughs) Do that. Take what resonates. Um, okay. So, the other story of a brown lady is, um, the brown lady of Chowan University. Again, another university haunting. I don't know what it is with universities, but apparently they're just real good for for ghosts. I guess. (laughs) So this school was founded in 1848 as the Chowan Baptist Female Institute, and it was a four-year women's school. Um, In the more than century and a half that the school is around, it has seen a lot of changes. Like for the fact that it started admitting men in 1931 and has also changed its name several times. At the moment, it is Chowan University, which they did settle on in 2006. So there are a couple of stories about this ghost. Um, One of the ones that I read was that she was called Julia and she was enrolled at the Tiny Baptist College during the Civil War when her fiancé committed a pair of unthinkable sins. For the first one, he fought for the Yankees, and for the second sin, he died on the battlefield. <laughs> His sin is dying on the battlefield. How dare he die on the battlefield? Um, why did he choose to do that? Exactly. He should have chosen not to. Um, but she, I guess, wanted to, was, wanted to be with him, and she jumped to her death off of the roof of her dorm. Yeah. PSA, don't ever kill yourself over a man. Like, yeah. this seems like a lot for me. No, just don't, don't kill yourself. <laughs> just don't kill yourself. Yeah. Um, so the other version of the story was another student called Eloween Davidson. Um, and according to this legend, she is a brown lady. So, apparently, she was the daughter of a very wealthy family from Northampton County. And she's reportedly beautiful, friendly, kind, loving, and very rich because her family had a ton of money. Like, she could have easily just retired and not done anything. But she was determined to pursue an education, you know, make something of her life or whatever. So in 1885, she enrolled at the Chowan Baptist Female Institute. 
the summer before her classes started, she ended up traveling to New York City to visit a friend of hers. And in the months that she stayed in the city, she became acquainted with a young lawyer named James Lorraine. Oh. Fancy, right? <laughs> um, so I guess they shared really like similar interests. Like they both had a passion for learning. They're both reportedly quick witted and enjoyed talking late into the night. Um, but as September to closer, Halloween was scheduled to return to North Carolina. Um, and the couple realized that, you know, over the summer they had grown to love each other. So one evening before she left, James asked her if she would marry him. And she was like super torn about this because she loved James, but she also really wanted to go to university. Mm-hmm. So she and James came to this agreement where they would get married, but only after she completed her education. Smart girl. Okay. So she returned from all the excitement of the New York City bustle or whatever into the quiet fields of North Carolina, and she started her studies. Apparently, she was described as an eager student, and she threw herself into her studies, but also soon became among her fellow students, um, became really popular among her fellow students because of her joy, her wit, and her kindness. And she also had this distinct personal style. She apparently owned an unlimited supply of brown silk dresses (laughs) with a lot of brown taffeta that made a distinct rustling sound as she moved through the halls and she was given the friendly nickname the lady in brown oh wow imagine having that nickname it's foreshadowing (laughs) yeah but also i kind of want that like i want to be like known for something i wear you know (laughs) yeah i mean like that's just a life goal for me (laughs) um so she finished her freshman year at the university and she returned home to her family And then her fiancé traveled down from New York to spend the summer with her, was immediately welcomed in by her family, like her parents could even see that they were both like a well-matched pair, and they, her mother, I guess, even started planning the wedding, because she was like, I know it's three years in the future, but y'all look so cute together. Uh, Soon enough, it was September again, so James went back to New York, and Eileen returned to the university, and again, threw herself into her studies, but something was wrong in early October she started to feel really ill she developed a fever and it was like pretty clear that it was a serious condition yeah so um I guess she was like bedridden um in the middle of October and like her friends hoped for her recovery and stuff but Eloine was like this is this is bad this is really bad. And um, she ended up asking for James to be sent for from New York. Like, she thought she would get better at the beginning of October, but it just wasn't looking good. So she wanted him there. James received the telegram and immediately boarded the train to go see her. There were no direct lines from New York to the rural part of the state where she was in. So he spent the next few days anxiously moving from train to train, like station to station occasionally sleeping in his seat, you know, that kind of deal, because he was so worried about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess when the last train pulled in, he like even hired a horse and rode all night, um, and then arrived at dawn in the morning of November 1st to the university. But it was too late. She died the night before on Halloween. That's so sad. Yeah. So the entire school, I mean, they all knew her because she was, like, really nice, really funny. Like, she was friends with a lot of people. 
So the entire school was like mourning for her. James was heartbroken as well. And he, after the funeral, he went back to New York, started, started his legal career and never got married. Like he was just so hung up on her. The next year on Halloween, the students had apparently started hearing a strange sound in the halls, like rustling silk moving through the hallways, just like the sound of the brown silk dresses that Halloween always wore. The next year, the sound returned, and the year after that, and the year after that as well. And then the legend was that every year on Halloween, her spirit would walk the halls. Some people still say that it was just her waiting for her fiancé to arrive. And other people say that once her spirit left her body, she just got up and started studying again. (laughs) So, me. (laughs) That would be. (laughs) That would be me. (laughs) She's 100% a Ravenclaw. Oh, yeah, I see. So, um, in the official statement, I guess it was like, it said, at least 100 years, the brown lady is haunted. um, Apparently, it was called the Murfsboro Free School at the time when she went there. Like I said, it went through a lot of name changes. Um, It's now known as Chowen University with a quote unquote broken heart and incomplete education. Oh, yeah. She apparently doesn't really appear on campus at all, but she does appear on Halloween. So, like, that was, that. I think that's the only day that she appears, which also could be, you know, like, Halloween is when the veil between the worlds is, like, the thinnest. Oh, yeah. So maybe that's why it's just Halloween as well. Um, this is, this is a lot for me, but, um, apparently they celebrate this. Like, they they celebrate her spirit and stuff like that. So in the 1950s and 60s, the freshmen were blindfolded and escorted into the woods or, like, a nearby cemetery where they met the brown lady in person and rolled upon her grave. What? Like, I I guess it's just, like, a really weird hazing ritual that they do around the ghost, but, like, what? It sounds like something that would happen at our high school. Oh, it totally would. (laughs) Rumor has it. Um, so yeah, I guess the moral of the story here is that when there is a ghost story, people will make up a ritual to go along with it that involves hazing other people. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right. So those are the two brown lady ghost stories that I have for you. Um, and yeah, that's about it. It was kind of a short episode, but I hope you guys liked it. It's very interesting though. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of other ghosts that are named for their their dresses um like not a specific type of ghost like the brown lady or the or like the red lady or white lady that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but what i did find interesting is that there's a blue lady who is usually seen around the moss beach distillery cafe in california who was said to have died in the prohibition area and just wears all blue there's a pink lady who haunts the grove park in in Asheville and apparently stays in room 545 and was nicknamed the Pink Lady because she fell to her death on the second floor while wearing a long pink gown, which is very interesting. And apparently a green lady who haunts uh, Seraphly Castle. Apparently she was French, her name was Alice, and died after her lover was executed. Um, so people like smell lavender and see her wearing green. So just just a little something interesting for you, in case you were wondering about different colors. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
do you have any life updates for us? Um, well, yesterday I decided to just like walk down the road that my school is on and there's some like cute little shops. The thrift shop that I wanted to go to was closed, but I found a little cute little like used bookstore. Ooh. Is that fun. the picture you sent me? I thought you were in the library. Yeah, no, the library is like the book stacks are closed, so I have not seen uh, books. Well, I, I mean, I've been reading, but like not in the library setting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was, it was nice. Very fun. Yeah, that does sound fun. Yeah. I'm kind of jealous. I miss being surrounded by books. <laughs> well, when you come and visit, you can see. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but other than that, um, the school decided it was a good idea to um, switch from AC to heating now. Um, when it's still quite warm out. So Love it. I've been sweating. <laughs> Excellent. Um, love it. Very fun. <laughs> we do love that. Oh, yeah. I have the opposite problem to you. Our heating, we have it programmed because, you know, electricity or whatever, water bill or something. Mm-hmm. We have it programmed to, like, start and stop at certain times. So when I wake up, I'm cold. <laughs> See, that's perfect. I wake up and I'm sweating. I oh, would God. rather just wake up at a good temperature, you know? I just this is true. I would like to be woken up and not be cold or hot. <laughs> that is right, the ideal fair. life. <laughs> um, do you have any life updates? Um, I made vegan chili today. Oh. And I was very stressed because I have an Instapot, so it's like making it in an instapot and it has sweet potatoes and those are super I feel like they take forever to cook like I bake sweet potatoes a lot and they take forever to cook so I put them in this thing I cut them smaller than I usually would because I was like it's not going to cook um and then like I turn in the instapot or whatever and apparently it takes a year and seven days for it to build up the pressure which I didn't realize is that an exact measurement it's an exact (laughs) measurement I love that. Um, but then it, like, asked us to release, like, the recipe that I was using is, like, release the pressure immediately. So the pressure was being released for a solid two and a half minutes. I was just standing there watching the steam exit. I was like, I've made a mistake. This is wrong. But it's fine. It did. It scared They scared me, too. <laughs> Mostly because I never know, like, if it's going to work or not. Yeah. It did end up working, so it's all good. But good. I was scared because it was literally releasing forever. <laughs> But now you have your chili. But now I have chili. Very fun. So I'm excited for that. Alright, that's about it for me. Do you have anything else that you want to say? No, that's it for me. Do you want to do your little spiel? Yeah. So you can find us on Instagram at Grim Podcast. Um, follow us, like our photos, DM us. Um, from there, you can click the little link in our, or not link, it's like a little button in our bio to email us. You can email us at thegrimpodcast at gmail.com. Um, send us, like, I don't know, little life updates of your own stories that happened to you, stories you want us to cover, um, comments, questions, concerns, anything. <laughs> Um, and if you're our... concerned about my pronunciation, that in there <laughs> oh, too. Oh yeah, fix our pronunciation. <laughs> Make sure I'm saying things correctly. <laughs> um, and our Facebook is linked to our Instagram, which is Grim Podcast. Our Twitter, I think, is yet to be linked to our Instagram, but it'll happen someday. Um, it's Podcast Grim. <laughs> um, and 
And other than that, just leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will see you guys next week. And I wait, I think next week is the episode that is closest to Halloween for us. Oh, yeah. Or actually, I mean, it might not be, oh, but it's fine. It's the last episode that we have for October planned. So I'm really excited for that because we get to hear um, a short little ghost story and then a creepypasta. Yeah. Which should be super fun. And then we'll start November. Mm-hmm. Which is... Cra- it's, it's still crazy to me that this is like our second November of doing podcasts. Oh, yeah. That's for wild. Sure. I feel like that's just wild. <sighs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so we'll see you guys next week. We're really excited for that. Yeah. All right. Stay safe. Stay healthy.